0: Thanks for joining the podcast today. If you didn't already know, this podcast is based off of our YouTube channel. You can find the link in the description below. Be sure to subscribe. Also check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Let us know who you are and where you're watching from. We'd love to get to know you. We are a self-funded channel. We don't receive money from churches or ministries, and that allows us to continue to make content that pushes the borders of our faith. So if you enjoy what we do, consider giving to our Patreon, For as little as a cup of coffee a month, you can help support this channel. You can find the link in the description below. Thanks again for joining us. We believe that by coming together, we can leave bad religion defenseless.
1: Okay, so what I want you to do for me, if possible, could you go to 1 Timothy 2, and I think it starts in verse 11. And I don't care what translation you read from, because we can actually kind of go through these.
0: 1 Timothy 2.
1: Yeah, I think we're going to start in verse 11. Let me see. Um, Actually, let's start in verse 9. Read me 9 through the end of the chapter, nine through 15.
0: I'm going to start at eight because nine's like in the middle of sentence. That's fine. Okay. Um, and that like mine, this is just on new King James and it has um, a heading men and women in church. Right. So eight, eight through what?
1: Through the rest, the, the end of the chapter 15.
0: Okay. Eight. I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a, let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence." For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control.
1: Have you heard that scripture taught from a platform before?
0: Uh, I feel like the specifically.
1: Like verse 11. Uh, yes. Right. I yes. do not permit a woman to teach, right? You, yeah. So you've heard that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When it's been taught. Just give me the general idea. Like when you've heard this verse used.
0: I I don't know.
1: This is one of those things. I think as a new Christian or a Christian who isn't super keen on their Bible, like as far as studying it, especially as a woman, I think this is one of those verses where you read that and you're like, I just, I need to run. (laughs) Well, you're either going to have a couple reactions. A is like, I'm so upset that that's in my Bible. Or B, I believe my Bible wholeheartedly and it's in there. I'm just gonna act like I didn't read it and move on. Cause <laughs> I don't wanna be offended by this verse. As a woman, right? Like yeah. that seems yeah. like your your couple of options. Or the third is I need to dive deeper in here and understand what's actually happening. Right. Um but at a face value reading, um, that's what seems to be happening. I do not permit a woman to teach. I don't think I've ever gone over this with you before. Have you Have you heard any deep dive into these scriptures before, these particular ones?
0: Um, I've heard you kind of explain them, so I feel like I know where you're going. Okay. And I don't want to say it if you're going to tell everybody.
1: <laughs> it's a lot. And and so we are going to spend the next few minutes here really diving into the scripture. And, and there's two reasons here. A, this is a very common verse used against women being in leadership Mm -hmm. in ministry. So that's the first reason. B, I'm going to show you how to pick this apart and how to understand it to where you can kind of take this understanding and model and take it to other quote unquote problematic scriptures in your Bible, especially concerning women. Sure. I think this is going to help you blueprint some of these things out a little bit better. C, let me just tag on a big fat warning here. This is work. For you to do this, you have to understand and put work into your Bible. There's really no other way. And I'll say it like this. If you only read your Bible for face value and you do not understand the historical context, the cultural context and what was happening, who wrote it, why they wrote it, who they wrote it to, if you don't really use proper hermeneutics to, to excavate the scripture, you will miss what the scripture is saying. Now, this is very tricky to people because they're like, well, why would my Bible be written like that? Why is it so difficult? I can't give you the answer to that. I don't know. I could give you some answers. A, the English translation is garbage. (laughs) I have no problem saying that. It is flat garbage. B, you live about 2,000 years later from when this was written to a very specific group of people at a very specific time in a very specific geographic location. I've said this before, and, and, and I will hold tight to it. The Bible may be written for you, but it was not written to you. And this right. is key to understanding your Bible, because when Paul is speaking, he is not thinking about Americans in 2022 living in Central Florida. He's not thinking that at all yeah. or wherever, hap- wherever you happen to find yourself right now. That may be offensive to some of us because we're like, oh, but I want the Holy Spirit to speak to me through the scriptures. The Spirit can absolutely speak to you in scripture, but it will not overcome what the scripture was actually trying to say, right? Right. Paul wrote what he meant and he meant what he said. It is your job to excavate scripture and understand what he was trying to communicate. If you read your Bible for face value, you will not understand this. I guarantee it unless you have some doctorate or masters in ancient historical text, culture, religion and society, you will not get this because we these are things, we, right? Like in high school, you went to a, quote unquote, secular high school, right? Public yeah. high school. Do they yeah. teach you about Ephesus in the year 58 AD? No, no. So we're not raised on this, right? Yeah. Like these are not cultural things we're raised on. But this is key to understanding what is happening in the scripture right now. If you don't understand this, it is very easy for you to read this verse, this passage for face value with it. Completely miss what Paul is trying to say, but then also take it and abuse it. Sure. And abuse it to women specifically in, in this particular chapter. So what I wanna do is try to fly through this somewhat quick so we can get to the heart of what's happening here, but I think that is a very good precursor to everything we're about to talk about because you cannot read 1 Timothy without understanding the things we're about to talk about. If you read 1 Timothy and most of your Bible, honestly, most of your Bible, if not all of your Bible, if you don't read your Bible inside of historical, context. You are going to whiff your Bible and you're already a leg down because you're reading it in a translation that it was never written in. So these words don't always translate piece to piece. So you have to go in there even further. Once you understand the cultural significance and historical significance, then you have to actually go in and say, hold on, does this English word mean what it, what it should mean? Or is there another word that it's trying to get me to understand And this English word is just the closest thing they can get to it? Much like helper. Right? In, in, in Genesis 2, we saw that helper does not mean second than. It is not secretary. It really should be partner, right? right. But if we didn't go in and dig out that meaning, azur, uh, then we would have missed it. And sure. then we could come up with all these implications about what helper means. Oh, well, it's second than, and a woman is supposed to be like this and sit under their husband. Well, well none of that's true. If you just understand that one specific word and understand it in the general context of pre-fall versus post-fall, man versus woman dynamic, right? So I'm going to try to go through this. I'll try to be quick, but I also want to make sure we're thorough. So um, first off, this is a fun question I always like to ask people. Like this would be a good question to ask like a middle school Bible class. (laughs) Who wrote Timothy? First Timothy.
0: Was well, it Timothy? <laughs> right. Do,
1: doesn't that feel like that would be the obvious answer? Yes. It's not. It's Paul. Okay. Okay. So Paul wrote First Timothy, and we can go into all the reasons why and why it's called First Timothy. But let's start there, right? So Timothy yeah. did not write First Timothy. <laughs> Paul to Timothy. There's First Timothy and Second I know? Timothy. No,
0: was it 2 Timothy? Why is it? When I was to a church? I don't.
1: Well, okay. Yeah. I so, just
0: don't know why it's called right, Timothy.
1: So right. So we'll dive in here because. The, the problematic verses we started at, typically, most people go to 1 Timothy uh, 2.11. That's kind of the chunk where I had you read where it says, you know, women should be silent uh, in submission. We can't start there. Now, the problem is when people preach this, when they used it at the Bible conference we were at a couple weeks ago, they went right to it. Right? They went right to that. Maybe they'll go back a few verses like you did. Well, I don't feel right starting in the middle of a, <laughs> a thing, although those chapters— and verses. I
0: mean, they're not like, real. they,
1: they didn't exist, right, right. we did it for a reference point, but right. like, they don't really exist. So it's funny that you would say, well, let me go back a couple of verses, because I don't want to start in the middle, literally by starting in, in chapter two, we're starting in the middle, right? <laughs> yeah. So we have to, and, and hopefully this will answer your question. Let me just open up. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, according to the commandment of God, our, our Savior of Christ is our hope. Paul always likes to open his letters like that. To Timothy, Okay, I'm I'm in First Timothy one here. Yeah, I see it. Okay, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God to the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, so that answer your question?
0: Yeah, it's to Timothy.
1: It, so it says it right there. I Paul am writing to Timothy.
0: This is literally to one person,
1: right? One person who's also in charge of a group of people. Right. So. um I would say, I understand it's called First Timothy, and I understand the reasoning for that, but I would also say that it, you could say that this is, this is a letter to the leadership of the Church of Ephesus at that time. Now, most scholars think it was around 58, 59 AD. Um, so, let me read these first couple of verses. Just as I urged uh, you upon my departure from Macedonia to remain on at Ephesus. So, he, uh, Timothy's in Ephesus right now. And Paul is saying that he wants him to remain so that you would instruct certain people not to teach strange doctrines. This is super important. It is literally within the first three verses of this chapter, of this very important letter to Timothy in Ephesus. Uh, I'll read it again. Uh, I want you to remain in Ephesus so that you would instruct certain people not to teach strange doctrines, nor pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to useless speculation rather than advance the plan of God, which is by faith. So I urge to you now. Okay, so we can go on there, but that gives us enough context. And I do encourage anybody listening to this right now, read 1 Timothy. It's It's not very long at all. Um, And then Paul just goes on to talk about his testimony and things like that. Okay. In the first couple of verses, though, we have the setup. I, Paul, am writing to you, Timothy, at the church of Ephesus, who I've left you there as a leader to take these group of people to start and keep the church going on in Ephesus. I'm writing you so that you can intervene because there's weird stuff being taught there. And I want you to cut that out. I want you to stop These weird doctrines, practices, we'll see later magic being taught in the church of Ephesus. Now, let me give you a little bit of geography here. Uh, And I'm not super, super keen on my geography. This is just what I picked up over the years. Ephesus, from what I understand, was a major hub of, I think they said about 100,000 or more people. So pretty big during that time. A major hub. and, And how I've been taught to think about it, it was kind of the central hub between Asia and the Middle East.
0: Okay.
1: So you had these big trade routes that would go through. Ephesus was kind of like that middle point. Before you got over to Asia, you would kind of stop here. So it was a big trading route. Um, And honestly, if I'm being honest right now, I can't even visualize on a map where Ephesus is. So I can't tell you specifically if it was on the water or not. I do know, though, that it was considered a major trade route between the East and the West, okay? So that's important to know. Why is that important? Because when you have major society hubs, trade routes that are connecting Eastern philosophy, religion, and Western Middle Eastern philosophy and religion, uh, Roman and Jewish, and all the other things that come with that, you're going to have a melting pot of all these ideas happening. And, you know, society is really taking off at this time. This is after Jesus is is gone and resurrected. So now you have Christianity uh, exploding. You have the Roman Empire is at its peak, but starting to see some fractures and cracks, and it will later fall. Um, Alexander the Great is born right around this time, I think. Uh, No, not not born at this time. I'll have to go back and look because I think he was actually before Jesus. There's a tie into Alexander the Great, and I'll explain that later. But anyway, so you have this major hub, which is Ephesus, and you have all these cultures clashing. And so they're bringing their ideologies, their philosophies, and their religions with them. So Paul is saying, Timothy, I need you to stay behind here. I'm going to go do some work. I'd like to go to Rome at some point, but I need you to stay behind here in Ephesus because some weird stuff is being taught. And it's actually starting to infiltrate our church and the gospel in Ephesus. So that's important. Now, let's go to uh, 1 Timothy 2, um, this is important. And, and I'll get into a little bit more of these cultures here in a second. First of all, so this is First Timothy uh, two one. First of all, then I urge uh, that requests, prayers, and intercession, and thanksgiving thanksgiving be made in behalf of all people, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Okay, so what Paul's saying here, and I'm reading from the NASB, and actually let me read from the New King James. Um, I think the NASB. ASB is a little bit more, um, it dives in a little deeper, but I think the New King James may just give us uh, just a quicker insight to what Paul's saying. I'll read it again in the New King James. Therefore, I exhort first all uh, of the supplications, prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for, uh, for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness uh, and reverence. Okay, so really the only difference there is it's just saying peaceable and tranquil. This is important, and we have to understand this. What Paul was not trying to do during this culture clash that's happening in Ephesus is he's not trying to get Timothy or the church, the Christian church at that time, to start a culture war. He did not want that. He's saying we hold true to our faith, but we do it peaceably. We do it in tranquility. We're not here to start a fight and a riot because you got to remember, the Roman government was still over all of this. And any time religious riots popped up, it didn't matter who it was from, Rome was there to squash it. We see this happening all throughout biblical history. So Paul was not trying to, and Christianity was still viewed as kind of a fringe group at this time. And they, Paul did not want to upset the status quo based on his group. It was not time for that, basically, is what Paul is saying. Yeah. So... um Let's go to verse three. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to the truth uh, and the knowledge of the truth. This is equally important. So what Paul is doing is saying just because we're being quiet doesn't mean we don't want the truth to spread. We just want to make sure we're doing it peaceably. Right. Verse five. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and mankind, the Christ Jesus. Okay. Do those things feel attached? So we're talking about Peaceably living in our religion, our Christianity, our gospel, we're talking about. We want to share truth to the rest of the world. And then in verse Paul, or in verse uh, five, Paul then says, "There's one God and one mediator, also between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ." Does that not feel like a sharp turn to you?
0: Um, sure.
1: I don't feel like people like see this, like how Paul writes sometimes. To me,
0: oh yeah, I'm like he's reading being this. Very like, let's be peace, and then he's like, but this is right,
1: and then boom, there's <laughs> yeah. one God, right? So he's being very yeah. like, let's be gentle, let's let's step quietly, but, but there's one God. Okay, uh-huh. so what is happening here? This is super important to understanding everything else that's going to follow. We talked about the culture clash happening in Ephesus at that time. There's three main things happening here. A, Christianity is spreading like wildfire at this point, right? We know this because Paul is writing multiple letters to multiple places. He's trying to go to multiple uh, places and do multiple things. The church is growing and spreading. Paul is trying to keep everyone peaceable, but that's not always happening. In specific places like Ephesus, there is this culture clash of religions that's happening. Now, there's two predominant ones that Paul is going to talk about here uh, outside of Christianity. Christianity being number one. The second one is uh, Gnosticism? Do you know anything about Gnosticism?
0: Like, like agnostic? Uh,
1: no, but kind of. So Gnosticism, early Gnosticism, in like you know, right around this time, fifty eight A.D. What they were doing is they were trying to say, and I have this in my notes, so maybe I should just pull that up, just so I have a better. Um, I'll read you what I wrote in my notes earlier today. Sure. The Gnostics, uh, they're interesting because they typically worship two or more gods, and they usually attempted to co-op whatever gods were hot in that particular moment Mm -hmm. or region. Their main goal was always to show that they had special understanding of the holy or divine. Uh, they really didn't care who they called God or gods to do it. So what you had is you had this group of people who were very mystical and they they have a connection to the divine and God, and they wanted you to know that they were important religiously and spiritually because they had a connection to the divine. In order to do this, and in order to grow, they would co-opt different gods. You'd be like, oh, uh, as a Gnostic, I'd be like, oh, I have a connection to the holy and the divine. And you as a Christian would be like, oh, really? Because I heard about this guy, Jesus and he died for our sins and he sounds awesome and he connects us to Yahweh, the one true God. And I'm like, yeah, I know that God. I've heard of that <laughs> God. I actually talk to that God. I'm actually a mediator for that God. Come and join what I'm doing. Yeah. So this is how the Gnostics would work. They would kind of co-opt whatever was popular and hot in that region, all in order to say that they have a connection to the divine and that's how they would grab their followers. Right. It wasn't Specific to Christianity, but Christianity being hot at that moment, that's what they were trying to co-op, especially in Ephesus where the church was growing. So you have the Gnostics, and they wouldn't just do it with one God. They would do it with multiple gods so they would do that with them and then they would turn to somebody who's coming from eastern religion let's say uh you know buddhism and they're like oh you know we have a connection to the vine and the holy And this uh you know somebody from asia be like yeah have you heard of the buddha and blah 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 and they're like oh yeah we know that guy we talked to him you know that's how they operated it's kind of like they just co-opted whatever was popular at that time in order to gain followers and power and influence uh, and I do believe, and it does seem by all accounts, that they actually did worship all of these gods. They would use them, but it, like they were very open to really any god, but they believed that they had a spiritual connection to the divine, the holy, right. whatever it was. Okay. And they believed that there was multiples of them. So, let's go back to that verse now. So, Gnosticism is alive and well in Ephesus at that time. So, remember in the beginning of Timothy, he says, I'm leaving you here because I want you to intervene with these strange teachings and practices. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's key. Then we get to verse 5 of 1 Timothy 2.5. There is one God and one mediator also between God and mankind, the Jesus Christ. Um, verse six, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time for this, I was appointed as a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I am not lying as a teacher of the Gentiles in the faith and truth, understanding that cultural significance, what was happening here. Paul is not taking a random right turn and saying, hey, I want you guys to be peaceable. I don't want you to start fights with anybody else. But there is one God. Do not listen to these Gnostics who are telling you there are multiple gods, there are multiple paths to divine and the holy. There's one God and there's one mediator, Jesus. That's it. So right there, we have Paul squashing Gnosticism in two verses. Why? Because it was trying to and somewhat successfully infiltrating the Christian church of that day. So that's what we have to know. Like he's squashing that right up front now. Right. Let's, let's move forward. Um, Okay. Yeah, here we go. Verse eight. Therefore, I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger and dispute. Paul is hitting that beat again. I don't, even though I'm telling you there's only one God and one Jesus and not to listen to these Gnostics, I want you to continue to worship, lift up your hands, but don't do it in anger and dispute. We're not here to fight with these people, but at the same time, we're not letting them infiltrate what we're doing. Here we go. Verse nine. So all that makes sense, right? In mm-hmm. context, here's that other right hand turn. Okay. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modesty uh, and discreetly, not with braided hair uh, and gold or pearls uh, or expensive apparel. And I feel like another like crazy, like what? Like yeah. we're talking about Gnostics. We're talking about Peaceably worshiping, but not letting another uh, religion infiltrate and co opt what we're doing, and now we're just talking about women. Didn't that feel like a really like, what? How do we get here? Yeah. If you don't understand Paul and what he's trying to set up, all of this just feels very jarring. Sure. It's like we just cut to another scene and we're talking about something completely different in the Netflix show we're watching. But there's actually culturally something happening here. So before I explain that verse, I need to go back to my notes here and explain the third thing that was happening in Ephesus and in a lot of Roman culture at that time. This is actually very ancient, and it wasn't specific to this particular time in history, um, but it did bleed into this time and after as well. So um, the third thing that was very popular at that time is the cult of Artemis or Diana. Same figure, but depending on the culture and the time, they may have called him different things. Now, this is a little confusing, and I don't want to get too much into the weeds with this. The Greeks, you know, all the Greek gods, Apollo, Zeus, and all that stuff, they had an Artemis as well. This is not the same Artemis, although when this particular religion came in contact with the Greeks, they started co-opting some of the same story and blending them into the same character. It's very confusing, but you just have to understand they are not the same character, and then sometimes they are the same character because of all the blending and meshing of religions that happened at that time. But what we are talking about is the cult of Artemis or Diana, an ancient religion devoting uh, devoted to worshiping Artemis or Diana, uh, she has also taken many names and forms throughout the ancient world, meshing with other beliefs, but always kind of a mother slash midwife god of sorts. Okay, it's believed, and I can't remember—I can't remember if it's still Artemis—but it's believed all the way back in the Babylonian days and even in the Egyptian days, this god existed in the same form and fashion, but may have had a separate name, a different okay. name. So this god is believed to be very ancient and worshiped. And this is just the current iteration of this god.
0: Yeah. Now,
1: at this point in time, this is where it gets really interesting. So the cult of Artemis, they worshiped this woman. She was kind of, a. Um, this is where I was gonna get to uh, Alexander the Great. Um, they believed, that, so the temple of Artemis was burned down the same night Alexander the Great was born. This is where it gets really crazy <laughs> and interesting. What their religion said is, Of course it was, because she had left the temple. It was gigantic. It was like 10 times bigger than the the pantheon. Like, it was gigantic. Um, Of course it was burnt down, because she was actually midwifing this god, Alexander the Great, into existence. Oh,
0: my goodness. And
1: that's how they explain. it. It is kind of coincidental that the temple was burned down and Alexander the Great was born. They have the exact date. I didn't write it down, but the exact date. Happened at the exact same time. And so the religion, they're like, oh, see, like our midwife figure was birthing Alexander the Great into existence. This is why the temple was burnt down and they ended up rebuilding yeah. it and all that stuff. But so this idea of Artemis uh being a mother, a very strong, powerful woman figure who births these great men into existence is very ancient. This sure. was happening at Ephesus at, at Ephesus at this time. So what's interesting here is that there was kind of a revolution happening with women at this time, uh, because you're talking about a major trade route in a major city hub who's intersecting with the East and the West. All bets are off, right? Culture is just clashing in every kind of way. So the social norms in a lot of ways were thrown out the window. Women were wearing different clothes. They were having different ideas. Like there, just there's no norm anymore because you're just in a melting pot of a city, right? Sure. So what starts happening with these cult followers of Artemis, who were not exclusively women, uh, but women were typically the heads of these churches in the religion and the cult of Artemis, they're becoming. Uh, we could say they're having a sexual awakening that they did not believe they had to be. Um, tied to one man that they could be promiscuous that their body their figure their sexuality was their power right and so they would use that so they would dress very provocatively they would dress like queens and empresses because this is how they viewed Artemis and this is if she is empowered in that way and I am a woman and I worship her, I, too, am empowered in that way. Sure. Men do not rule over me. I am a strong, independent woman. I don't need no man. I can dress <laughs> how I want. I can sleep yeah. with who I want. I can run the show just like a man can. This is what's happening at the time of Ephesus around 58 AD with the cult of Artemis. So let's go back to that verse here. Um Verse 9, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modesty, and discreetly, not with braided hair or gold pearls or expensive apparel. Once we understand the context of what's happening in Ephesus, this is not a jagged right-hand turn from Paul. He just talked about how our religion is clashing with a bunch of other religion religions in Ephesus. We just talked about how the Gnostics are trying to infiltrate our gospel message. There's only one God, there's only one Jesus. Anything else they tell you is not right, it's, it's false. Also, women, I know you see all these other women walking around in Ephesus right now, wearing expensive clothing, maybe dressing immodestly, maybe wearing pearls and gold and all this stuff. Don't be like them. Paul is not yeah. saying pearls are bad. Paul is not saying gold is bad or wearing a braid in your hair is bad. He's saying these are what the pagans are doing right now. Mm-hmm. And if you dress this way, if you look this way, if you act this way, they are, people will assume you are part of that pagan idolatry. Sure. So don't do that. That's what Paul's saying here. He's not making a blanket statement for all women for all time. Don't wear braids in your hair. That's absurd. Yeah. But a lot of times this is how we push it, right? Okay. So let's go to um, verse 10. But rather by means of good works, as it is uh, proper for women making a claim to godliness. So he's basically just be a good woman. Dress modestly. Don't look like them. Let your good works be the thing that gives you value, not your hypersexuality, not your ability to to draw eyes when you walk down the street. Just be a good woman. That's what Paul's saying here. In context of how these other women are um, parading themselves and, and carrying themselves yeah. in, in that culture at that time. 11. Here's where it gets interesting and this is where we just don't understand our Bible. Here's the problematic verse. A woman, must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. Now, churches today will still preach this and say, ha, see, women should not teach in our church. They need to sit quietly and submit to the male leadership. Okay. But if we're talking about being in context here, we know there is a cult in Ephesus at that time attempting to infiltrate what the gospel is doing. Paul says this very clearly in the first three or four verses of the book of Timothy saying, Timothy, I'm leaving you here to combat this. This is what's happening. I need somebody to stay at home base because if, if we all leave, this is going to get nasty. I need you to stay behind to combat this stuff. couple liner notes here. In verse 11, he says, a woman must quietly receive instruction. That word woman here is not plural. Now, I'm not going to get super nerdy here. I'm not going to go like crazy depth into uh, the Greek and stuff like that. But you can do it on your own free time. The word woman here is not talking about all women. It's not talking about womankind. He is referencing a specific woman or a specific type of woman. Now, what's tough right now, what's tough is we don't actually know exactly what he's referencing. It seems to me, from my understanding of the text, there was a specific incident or a few incidents that happened. But we don't know what those specific incidents were. But it does seem very clear here how Paul wrote this letter. He's referring to either a specific woman or a specific type of woman or incident that has happened. Right. A woman, not plural, that type of woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. If those types of women want to come into our church with the gold and the pearls and the sexuality, if those cult-type women want to come into our church, they need to do it quietly and receive instruction with submissiveness Because if they don't do it that way, they're not actually here to learn. They're here to try to usurp our authority and and wreck our church, essentially, is what Paul's saying. He's not saying all women need to be quiet and silent in church. He's saying if those specific women come into our church because of incidents that we've already seen happen, they need to do it quietly, and they need to listen and learn. Because if not, they're going to try to just be themselves here, and, and that's not who we are, right? We are not Jesus followers in the cult of Artemis. That's not who we are. So that's verse 11. Verse 12. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Okay, this is an extension of what we were talking about before. These women in society who followed the cult of Artemis, I don't need no man. Men do not rule over me. I can sleep with who I want. I can dress how I want. I can run my own shops. I can do anything a man can do. I am woman. Hear me roar. Basically, right? Right. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over man, but to remain quiet. He's talking to a very specific woman or women who are trying to come in and take over the church. He's saying, I don't permit that. If these women come into the church, I, do, I, Paul, as the leader to you, Timothy, say, no, if they come in here and try to do this, you shut them down. We do not do this, right? This one's really interesting, verse 13, for it's Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was Adam who was not deceived, but the woman who was deceived and became a wrongdoer. Any any (laughs) idea why Paul throws that in there? This is fun.
0: Sticking it to him.
1: But doesn't that seem like a sexist statement? Like Paul's just throwing his sexism in there right now, right, like? Yeah. Okay.
0: Like not to mention that it was a...
1: (laughs) Okay, it's not that. And this is what's very interesting. If you look at the Church of Artemis at that time, they were, and the Gnostics, they were both doing this. They were teaching, and this is why Paul says in the first chapter, don't get confused with genealogies and magic and and all this stuff. Don't get confused by all that stuff because it's not Jesus. It's not the gospel. They were actually teaching. They were trying to co-opt the gospel because it was hot and it was spreading. That Adam was actually created from Eve. Oh, wow. They tried to flip the script. These cult of Artemis are like, yeah, yeah, you Christians, like, yeah, your God, your Jesus sounds great. Did you know that Adam was actually created from Eve? That it wasn't Eve who was deceived, it was actually Adam who was deceived. They were trying to flip the script on them Dang. and trying to switch it up. Paul is not being sexist here in verse 13. He's saying, for the record, just so we're clear here, just so there's no misunderstanding, it was actually Adam who was created first, <laughs> then Eve. And it, was, it wasn't was Adam who was deceived, but it was the woman who was deceived and became a wrongdoer. Paul's not throwing shade at womankind here. He's correcting a misconception that the cult of Artemis was teaching. Women are not on this high pedestal. In fact, if we're going back to the old ancient Hebrew scriptures in which Jesus was born out of, Actually, Adam was born first, and it was actually Eve who was (laughs) deceived. Okay. Paul's not being sexist here. He's setting the record straight because there was a lot of false teaching happening. Um, But women will be preserved through childbirth if they continue in faith, love, and sanctity with moderation. I read two things here. Uh, And this is speculation in context, I'll say which sounds like a really cool 80s band name. Um, Two things I think Paul could be potentially saying here at this final verse. Uh, Women will be preserved through childbirth. So we remember that uh, during the curse of Eve, because we are talking about Adam and Eve here, right? The verse before. We remember that it says that one day the seed of Eve will be born and it will crush Uh, the serpent's head. That was a prophecy about one day Jesus will come through the seed of Eve and will undo what Satan did, right? That's the whole point. So I think this verse could mean, but women will be preserved through childbirth. I think that could be Paul hearkening back to Genesis 2 or 3 and saying women will be preserved through childbirth because it was promised that the woman's seed will crush Satan, right? That's one thing. Yeah. Uh, if they continue yeah. with faith, love, and sanctity and moderation. So that's one interpretation. My second interpretation is Paul is actually referencing the cult of Artemis. Remember, she was considered a midwife. She was considered one that brings uh, men, great men, into the world as a midwife or a mother figure. Paul could be referencing women will be preserved through childbirth if they continue in faith, love, sanctity, with moderation. So basically saying, don't look at this midwife Um, cult that's happening right now, you'll be preserved through childbirth, not the midwife's childbirth, not what they worship, if you continue in faith, love, and sanctity in moderation. I don't know which one Paul's referencing there. I think there's a strong argument for both. He might be doing both. Paul's really good at double entendres, so he might be putting a little bit of both in there. Yeah. Uh, That's really interesting. Now that we know all of that cultural context, this whole chapter reads different. Sure. It's not even the same ballpark anymore. Mm -mm. It's not even close. I've not once ever in my life heard a preacher preach it like that from the pulpit. So I go back to my original question. Ignorance? (laughs) Or are we teaching things like verse 11? I do not permit a woman to teach. She needs to be silent in church. She needs to submit. Are we teaching these things to keep women suppressed and oppressed in the church? (laughs) Or is this ignorance? I don't yeah. know the answer, but neither sound like a good thing to me, right?
0: Sure.
1: Uh, we got time for one more thing.
0: Is it, sure.
1: I know Celtics game is on tonight in like thirty minutes, <laughs> and, and we are diehard Celtics fans here. Um, but I, I do want to uh, kind of tie all this together because this is really good. Like when you really break it down, um, let's let's answer a quick question first. Did Paul have a high view of women in ministry?
0: Um, I want to say yes.
1: Unequivocally, if anyone knows the New Testament, the answer is absolutely <laughs> yes. Um, if you need context for this, I'm not going to give you a breakdown of all of these. If you need context, if you got your phone or notepad, just write down a couple of these names real quick and then look them up later on your own time. And you tell me if Paul has a high view of women in ministry. Look up Priscilla. Yeah. This is all in the New Testament. Look up Lydia. Look up. It, it looks like Junia, but it's pronounced Hunia j-u-n-i-a uh look up phoebe uh and look up the the four daughters of philip all of these women had very high ranking um uh, levels inside of ministry all of them some of them attached to their husbands but not all of them
0: yeah
1: uh i can't remember which one of these because i don't have my notes in front of me uh some of these ladies funded paul's ministry straight up says they funded me to do all of these things. So these women were like bankrolling Paul. Sure. How they got their money, I'm, it, it might explain, but I can't remember off the top of my head. But they were bankrolling Paul and his other ministries to continue to spread the gospel.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot.
1: <clears throat> I can't remember which one it was, so don't kill me for not remembering off the top of my head. Uh, when Paul would write a letter, <clears throat> specifically the the letter to Romans, um, he would send a messenger with this letter to. Now, remember, most people weren't literate during that time. So, <clears throat> sorry. But the people who were delivering, the person who was in charge of delivering that letter wasn't just like a mailman. It wasn't FedEx. They yeah. would show up and they would read the letter yeah. to the congregations, however many people that was in whatever city they were Uh, charged with delivering the letter. And then they were charged with answering any questions or further explaining what the letter meant. I can't remember which one. You guys can look it up later. One of these ladies here on the list was that person. Nice. One of these ladies was in charge of taking arguably the best letter that Paul ever wrote to the church and explaining it to the church and teaching it to the church and answering any questions they may have had about Romans if you've ever read the book of Romans, there's a lot of questions sure. to be asked. And, and her job was to communicate it after it had been read. That's a big job. Yeah, That's not to be taken lightly. He chose her for that. She didn't win a drawing or a lottery. He chose her because she had the aptitude for it, because right. she had the spiritual insight for it. All of that to say, when, or Paul had a very high view of women in ministry. But he was not like the cult of Artemis who said women are the best and they should do everything and, and men are stupid and you know women should rule everything. Paul was an equal opportunist, yeah, just like Jesus was, and said, hey, this woman shows great uh, experience here and knowledge and foresight. I'm going to send her because she's qualified to do it. Yeah, Boom. And she does nice. it. So that's one thing if you guys want to go back and look at those list of women. Uh, once again, you tell me If, um, if Paul had a high view, I want to finish with this and we'll really be done here. Let's go to really quick acts 19. This is going to give us a lot of insight into everything I was talking about, uh, in what was happening in Ephesus at that time.
0: Acts 19.
1: Acts 19. Okay, I'm just going to read through it. So, you guys, this, this I can kind of read through is more as like a story. I shouldn't have to pause too much here. So, this is all during the same time we were just talking about in First Timothy, okay? Now, it happened that while uh, Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus. Ding, ding, ding. We're back mm-hmm. where we were in First Timothy. And found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the holy spirit when you believed and they said to him on the contrary we have not even heard if there is a holy spirit and paul said to them into what then were you baptized and they said into john's baptism talking about uh, john the baptist paul said john baptized with a baptism of repentance telling people to believe in him who was coming after him that is in jesus when they heard this they were baptized and in the name of lord jesus in the name of jesus And when Paul had laid hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered in the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, having discussions and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Here's where it gets fun. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking of evil, uh, the way before the people, he withdrew from them and took his disciples away with him. And he had discussed daily in the school of Tyrannius. This took place over two years. This is why I said this is somewhere between 58 and 59 AD. We don't know exactly mm-hmm. when, but it's over that course of about two years. This took place for about two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So, we are, so why are we mentioning Asia here? Because Ephesus was a major trade hub to get to Asia. You would go through Ephesus to get there. That's why he's mentioning Asia. Here we go. Uh, Verse 11, miracles in Ephesus. God, this is where it gets really interesting. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to use the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I order you in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. Let's pause here for a second. We're really talking about Pharisees and Sadducees, seeing what Christianity and Paul is doing by exercising demons out of people. And so now these Jewish people who probably don't really believe in Jesus are like, well, they're having success there. Let's, let's use the name of Jesus and Paul <laughs> when we go to do our exorcisms and see if it has the same effect. It gets really crazy here. Um, I order you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now, there were seven sons of, I think it's Sceva, a Jewish priest doing this. But the evil spirits responded and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know of Paul, but who are you? <laughs> and the man in whom uh, was the evil spirits pounced on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. These Jewish people who did not really believe in Jesus tried to use the name of Paul and Jesus to cast out a demon, and the demon called them out and be like, Pfft. I know who you're talking about, but I don't see them in any of what you're doing. (laughs) And the demon attacked them and subdued seven grown men. One man stomped seven of these Jewish priests trying to use the name of Paul and Jesus. This became uh, known to all who lived in Ephesus. This was a big story. This was a big deal. Both Jews and Greeks uh, and fear fell upon all of them and all in the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. So the story gets around Ephesus, these Jews couldn't cast out the demons, the demons are like, we know who Paul and Jesus are, you don't represent them, beats them up, they're running naked out in the street, all beat up, bloodied and wounded. This gets around Ephesus and people are like, whoa, there must be something to this guy, Jesus. This is a big deal. Also, many who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. Remember we talked about uh, in First Timothy, talking about magic was being uh, taught, uh, the cult of Artemis, the Gnostics, there's just a lot of weird stuff happening. Yeah. So now that, this, uh, now that the word of Jesus is spreading around Ephesus, it says those who believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. So you're talking about converts here, leaving their magic, leaving their pagans, leaving their idols. And many of those who practice magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they added up the prices of all the books and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. Jeez. Now, I don't know what that translates today in right. modern time. We could probably Google it if you want to look it up. But it sounds like a lot of money. <laughs> 50,000 yeah. of anything sounds like. If you handed me 50,000 rocks, I'd be like, dude, you have a ton of rocks. Like right. 50,000 anything sounds expensive. So all of these books of magic and idol worship and, and pagan idolatry, they gather them all together. They burned them publicly and it equaled up to 50 Fifty thousand pieces of silver. Verse 20. So the word of the Lord was growing and prevailing mightily. Now, after these things were finished, Paul resolved in the spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia. Uh, and I think it's Icaea, saying, after I have been there, I must also go to Rome. So Paul is wanting to go to Rome. He's, he's ready to get out of Ephesus. He's wanting to go to Rome. Paul had been wanting to go to Rome for a while and he just kept getting stuck. After he sent into Macedonia, two of those who assisted him, here we go, Timothy and Euratus. Uh, I'm probably saying that wrong. He himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, a major disturbance occurred in regard to the way. Now, anytime you see the way, it's just talking about the gospel. It's it's talking about the the. The message of jesus right mm-hmm. i am the way the truth and light yeah. that's what they're talking about uh for a man named demetrius a silversmith who made silver shrines of artemis oh man it's almost like it's right there in our bible if we just connect the dots we can see what's actually yeah, my happening version says diana oh right cool so so yeah. it's known as both names there so it's good mm-hmm. that we we understand that it's both um and you're in what the new king james yeah okay yeah i'm in the nasb so um Demetrius, a silversmith, who made uh, silver shrines of Artemis, or Diana, was bringing considerable business to the craftsmen. He gathered these men together with the workmen of similar trades and said, men, you know that our prosperity depends on this business. They're making idols and shrines to Artemis, and Christianity's taking over so fast they're losing business in massive amounts of droves. They just watched a book burning in their town square that equaled up to fifty thousand pieces of silver. Yeah. This is jacking up their trade and their their money right now. Yeah. You see in here that not only in Ephesus but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away considerable number of people saying that gods made by hands are not gods at all. This is super important because what Demetrius is telling us is that Artemis was not localized in just Ephesus. This was a, this was a, I don't want to say global, but at the time, this was a huge cult that took over almost all the land. You could find Artemis almost everywhere yeah. in that time. So he's saying... Um, uh, I'll go back to twenty six. You see in here that not only in Ephesus but almost in all of Asia uh, that Paul is persuaded and turned a considerable number of people uh, converting them, basically saying that gods made by hands are not gods at all. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours will fall in. Uh, disres- uh, what's that word? whatever.
0: Disrepute?
1: Uh, Disrepute, yeah. So basically, not only that our trade uh, will be crushed by this, but also that the temple uh, of the great goddess Artemis or Diana will be regarded as worthless and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship, all of the Asia and world Okay, this is going to be important when we're dissecting other scriptures in the Bible that talk about women. Please remember this, that Artemis was all over the place, okay? Uh, And that she, whom of all Asia and the world worship, will even be dethroned from her magnificence. This God, Artemis or Diana, was big time, all over Asia, all over the Western world at that time. Um, So basically, anywhere Paul and the disciples went to teach Christianity, this cult was there. So they were combating this, not just in Ephesus, but in everywhere. So what we can do is we can use Ephesus as a focal point and say, this is specifically what was happening, but we also know it was happening in all these other places because scripture says Artemis was everywhere verse 28. When they heard this, they were filled with rage. Now, he's talking to the merchants and the shop owners and the people who are profiting off of Artemis. When they heard this, they were filled with rage. They began shouting, saying, great is Artemis uh, of the Ephesians. So, it's it's, it's go time. Now, remember, in the beginning of 1 Timothy, Paul's like, hey, Let's let's do what we do quietly. I don't want to start fights. I don't want to start riots. Let's just be peaceful. Let's be tranquil. Well, it's it's boiling now. Yeah, the city was filled. The city, the entire city was filled with confusion and they rushed together into the theater, which at that time would have been like the civic center the the, you know, the 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 hub basically of the city. they rush together into the theater, dragging along Gaius and, uh, I can't say the name, Articrucius, Paul's Macedonian traveling companion. So Paul's dudes, they drag him in there. They're like, hey, we need to talk about this. The whole city's freaking out. They're in a riot and they grab two two of Paul's guys. They're like, we're about to talk about this publicly in front of everyone. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples wouldn't let him. Paul's about to go in there and start slapping heads, and the <laughs> and the disciples are like, "No, man! Like this is already like at peak. We, you do not need to go in there. The, if you go in there, it the whole world is going to explode. Basically, yeah. Also, some of the." Uh, I can't pronounce says
0: officials.
1: Okay, that's good. Also, some of the officials who were friends of his sent word to him and repeatedly urged him not to. So all of Paul's dudes are like, don't do it. Don't go in there uh, to not venture into the theater. So some were shouting one thing and some another for the assembly was in confusion. And the majority did not know even the reason they had come together. The whole city is like freaking out because these merchants and people are like, he's going to topple Artemis. Some people were just going in there because the the whole city was just in chaos. Some of them didn't even know why they went in there. This thing is just chaos, just pure chaos. Some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander since the Jews had put him forward. And having mentioned with his hand, Alexander intending to make a defense to the assembly. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry rose from them all. And they shouted for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So they are in direct opposition to the message of Yahweh, essentially, whether it's Jesus or Jewish practice, they don't want it. Artemis is the God of the Ephesians. After quieting the crowd, the town clerk, I would hate to be that guy. The town clerk said, many of uh, men of Ephesus, what person is there after all who does not know that the city of the Ephesian is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of the image which fell down from the sky? Now, a lot of people believe there was like a rock or a statue that they worship that may have been carved from like a meteorite or something like that. So when he says... um, Artemis and the image which fell down from the sky. A lot of people believe that they worshiped like this meteorite that they believed was Artemis. Mine when it fell
0: down from Zeus.
1: Oh, that's cool too. Yeah, so there you go. There you have that blending. You have an ancient Artemis and then the Greek Artemis blending into one there, which mm-hmm. that wasn't always the case, but in this particular instance, it was. Um, but a lot of I read a lot of commentaries that said they may have found a meteorite and believed it was Artemis or worshiped mm. it as Artemis. So since these are undeniable facts... Right, a meteorite fell. And so clearly it was Artemis. These are undeniable facts. You ought to keep calm and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither temple robbers or blasphemers of our goddess. So the town clerk is just trying to keep the peace. He's like, look, they're preaching their religion. It doesn't really have anything to do with what we're doing in our religion, but they haven't robbed us. They haven't blasphemed our temple. They're not even coming into our temple. Chill, just be cool. Yeah. <laughs> so verse 38, so then if Demetrius, remember the, the the original guy who's like, bro, they're stealing all our money. Uh, so then if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are in session uh, and the proconsuls are available. Have them bring charges against one another. But if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in the lawful assembly. Uh, For indeed, we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's events, since there is no real reason for it. And this connection will be uh, unable to account for this disorderly gathering. After saying this, um, he dismissed the assembly. So remember, Rome was still over all of this area. And if they saw a riot coming, Rome didn't care who you worship. They were going to start busting heads. The clerk is saying, guys, if we don't chill out this religious dispute, Rome's going to come in here and start cracking heads and they don't care who you worship. So let's calm down. If you have an issue with the Jews, if you have an issue with the Christians, Demetrius and all your craftsmen, bring it to them in a court of law and we'll settle it there. But if you don't want to do that, this needs to be squashed and we need to disassemble because Rome is about to start cracking heads and they disperse. Yeah. This is great context for everything we are talking about in 1 Timothy. This sets the stage. You can see the culture war happening between the cult of Artemis and the Christians at that time and what Paul was trying to do. And even Timothy is mentioned here. Yeah. If you understand all of this, which is crazy because it's just right there in your Bible. If you understand all of this, you understand that 1 Timothy 2.11 has nothing to do with telling women kind to be quiet in church. Right zero but yet (laughs) we will still teach it from a pulpit yeah we will still use it to oppress and repress women three percent of evangelical churches have female pastors um i'll let you as the listener be the decider if you think paul would be okay with that uh or if paul would have been shocked considering all the people that paul women that paul put into leadership um I know this was a super nerdy biblical deep dive, but I think it's super, super, super important because I think it single handedly, unless I'm missing something totally here. But I mean, we just read a ton of scripture. I think it single handedly dismantles the idea in second or in first Timothy two that Paul is talking about women and how they should conduct themselves in church in 2022 America. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Squashed, in my opinion, squashed. Yeah. No room for anything squashed. The reason I bring all that up is, and and I mentioned it earlier in the book of Acts here, the cult of Artemis was alive and well in most of Asia and most in in the Roman occupied territories. So you're going to find other places in the New Testament where Paul says similar things. It is now your job, understanding a little bit more of the context of the cult of Artemis and what Christianity was up against at that time, to go into scripture I think there's a couple spots in Corinthians and there may be a few in Galatians. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. It is now your job to go in there and get context and understand when Paul is saying these things, is there further cultural and historical context that I need to understand what Paul is trying to communicate or am I going to read it for face value and just say, oh, women just need to shut up in church? That's your job as a listener. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could go through every single one of these. And we could do this for like two or three more months. (laughs) Um, But I don't think I have to. And I think it's a cool challenge. It's like a scavenger hunt now. You know how to find the pieces. Go do it. Yeah. And you tell me at the end of all your searching, uh, are women less than men in ministry? Did God ordain women and men from the beginning of time to have a hierarchy between them? I don't think so. Mm-mm. I think we we're created as partners. Does that mean that men are better at certain things than women and that women are better? Than... Absolutely. We know. We know that you. there there are differences. Let's just stop playing around. Like There are biological differences between both of us. Yeah. That doesn't mean one is greater than the other, especially now in 2022. Sure. You don't have to go get a, a spear and hunt a mastodon today. <laughs> you don't have yeah. to do it. Even if I had to do it today, I'd probably get wrecked. Um. But you see what I'm saying? This is why culture is important to the biblical narrative because we do not live in the time that uh, they lived in. Right. We don't live in the year one where the prehistoric nature and men and women, there was, there's just biologic. We don't live in that culture in society anymore. We don't live in a polygamous society where I can have multiple wives and one of them makes me lunch on Wednesdays and the other one makes me dinner on Tuesdays and I go to a theme park with on Saturdays. That's not how we function in society anymore. So we have to say, is tradition correct or is it the fall that tells us how things should be? And then also, in our modern times, especially in church culture, is a man really any more equipped in modern times to lead, preach, teach a church than a woman is? I can't biblically or um, practically find any reason where that would be true. Right. In today's culture and society, you can study just as much as I can. Mm -hmm. You can have just as much spiritual insight as I can. Uh, You have just as well of a connection to God and Jesus as I do. Yeah. There's no separation there. So I asked the question, and I'll finish with this question. What then in our modern culture and society makes us think that women are less than when it comes to ministry and leading in our churches? And you might be saying, oh, well, that's not really true. I don't view women that way. Well, I can tell you about... About 97% of evangelical churches feel that way because only 3% of those churches are led by women. Right. So I asked the question again why? Is it biblical? Or am I missing something? Is, is there something biological in a woman's brain that makes her less than? I haven't found that yet. But if there is, please, you know, educate me. I'd love to hear the medical science behind that. But I think that's kind of outdated and antiquated thinking. Um, and, and yes, people did think that way in the early Renaissance <laughs> days. <laughs> but we don't think like that anymore. Yeah. And this is why biblical understanding, but also cultural context is very important. We don't live in those days anymore. Mm-hmm. And if God viewed man as man and woman equal when he first created them, And we do believe that the kingdom is here and it's growing, right? That's the whole idea of what Jesus came to do. Then wouldn't it make sense that the church lead the charge in bringing equality back into the sphere? Yeah. Because that's the way God had created and ordained it from the beginning. But once again, the evangelicals are late to the party. (laughs) We haven't quite figured this out yet. So um, I'm, I'm probably being a little obtuse now, but oh, well, it's fine. Thoughts, questions, comments, concerns?
0: No, I'm, I'm excited to share this one.
1: It's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes work. There's some legwork, and I have to constantly stress this to people. It takes work to uncover this stuff. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have to bring 18 books in here, no. right? I didn't have to teach you to speak another language. Mm-hmm. We looked through, what, I had two different translations. Uh, we did one or two little word studies, and we read the Bible in a cultural and historical context that made sense to uncover what other parts of the Bible were saying. Oh man, (laughs) exegesis versus eisegesis. For those of you who don't know, eisegesis basically means isolating a particular scripture or passage and slapping your opinion on top of it to prove a point. Mm -hmm. Exegesis basically means using that scripture and or chapter in the context of the whole Bible, excavating meaning, putting these puzzle pieces together and saying, aha, here's what the Bible is trying to tell us eisegesis versus exegesis. (laughs) We did an exercise in exegesis today, which boggles my mind that this is just not commonplace in the church today. Because I guarantee you, most of us listening and doing this podcast today will go to a church this Sunday and get a solid dose of eisegesis. I'm not trying to be judgmental, but that is typically how the modern three-point sermon works. Well, yeah. in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, blah, 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 and this is how this applies to your life. Okay, but there's a huge cultural context we need to understand. <laughs> I'm not saying that pastor is necessarily wrong with the sentiment they're placing forward, sure. but we're not teaching people how to excavate their Bible. Sure. So yeah. they are creating a codependency know. on that pastor mm-hmm. and or de- denomination uh, to understand what the Bible's saying. You don't need it anymore, guys. I, I'm here to tell you, you can explore your Bibles for yourselves. And hopefully this podcast and our YouTube channel and the, and the content we're creating kind of just kickstarts you, you know, like it's a, you've got everything inside of you to do this, Yeah, but maybe you just hadn't heard it before. Maybe you needed someone to kind of just shove you in the right direction. Uh, but I hope this is enough to kind of get that fire started so that you can start uh, excavating these scriptures and be like, man, there's way more to my Bible um, than I thought. And if I'm being honest, the more I dive into my Bible, the more I see how free we are. The more I dive into my Bible, the more love, the more I understand my Bible, the less restricted I feel by God. And I don't mean, and it's kind of like what Paul says, do we have grace so that we can keep on sinning? Of course not. Yeah. The Bible isn't there to justify us to live any way we want to, but it is there to help us better understand that, hey, I can be just as much as a man without oppressing women.
0: That's nice. (laughs) Yeah. I don't
1: have to find my, my, my male identity off the idea that I, that I, that I rule over you or that a yeah. woman could do a job just as good as I could. <laughs> I don't need to find my identity in that anymore, you know, but so many pastors do and churches do and denominations do. And yeah. this is why we see a massive discrepancy between the number of women leaders in church versus men leaders in church. So, yeah, I hope this is uh good, I hope anything you want to add before hope i'm done you made
0: it yeah i hope you made it this is a
1: long one no, it's but i feel so good, like it's though. important so
0: i was not disinterested at all
1: that's good which means you <laughs> might have been disinterested in other podcasts we've done
0: oh, no no <laughs> no not true it's always
1: funny when people are like that was your best one yet i'm like what does that mean the other ones were not the best <laughs> other ones were not good
0: no, no i know i
1: know Um uh, anything you want to add no anything okay well we're done This is going to be a little bit longer, so probably two parts, maybe three. I'll I'll look at it when we go to cut it and edit it. But um, yeah, just expect these to drop on Mondays at around 5 a.m. I drop them really early. So, you know, if you're on your way to work at eight, nine, whenever you go to work in your car, working out, whatever you're doing, that it releases early enough to where it hits your device and you can, you know, download it, listen to it, whatever you want to do. Yeah. But other than that, message us, Mm -hmm. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Am I missing anything
0: else? I don't think so.
1: LinkedIn? No, I'm
0: not really on LinkedIn. <laughs> but I
1: have it. And I think everyone has it, but I don't really use it. Yeah. Uh, send me a carrier pigeon. Sure. Honestly, the first person to do that.
0: I'll take a dog instead. But oh, yeah. I mean.
1: Yeah. Um, was it? Is it the Saint Bernards? I, you, I know they used to carry the oh, like barrels. The, yeah, the barrels and beer. But I, I think they also used to have um, like they would put notes and stuff in them, Aww. and they would send them across. So if you want to send us a Saint I Bernard, will with, accept with, it. Oh, absolutely! It will have a nice home. And it, it, I guess if you want it back, we can send it back. <laughs> we'll we probably may keep it. Try to keep
0: it. Uh,
1: a raven, you know, for those of you who well uh, watch Game of Thrones or something like that. These they use ravens to send messages, I think. Um, but yeah, drop us a line. We just we want to hear where you guys are at. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed this podcast, and uh, if you got nothing else, I guess we'll see you later. All good.
0: Go Celtics.
1: Go Celtics. Celtics and six.
0: <laughs> Celtics win the finals. <laughs> yeah,
1: this could, this could be our right <laughs> year. Anyway, all right. I hope you guys have a great week, and uh, yeah, talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs>